All right, y'all. Welcome back to Around with Stephen Cole. Uh, it's great to have y'all back this week. We are post tales of the cocktail. I, of course, am one of your co-hosts, Steve Yamada, and this here is T. Cole Newton. Thank you guys for joining us again today in the studio. And by studio, I mean my Mid City Bar Twelve Mile Limit during off hours. <laughs> we are joined by our friend Michelle Lewis. Michelle Lewis lived here in New Orleans for a long time. She's done a lot of work in the industry on the brand side. We'll talk a little bit about the, that later. Now she has a business doing uh, personal health consultations. I'm not exactly sure the best way to describe it. So, Michelle, why don't you introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about what you do broadly, and then we'll get into it. Okay. Um, so my name is Michelle Lewis. I am a holistic health coach. Um, sorry, am I talking closer? <laughs> um, so I'm a holistic health coach. What I do is help shape people's minds around health and nutrition. Um, in order to live a healthier lifestyle that fits into how they live. Right on. I think this is a really appropriate conversation to be having. Uh, for everybody, <laughs> I did mention earlier that this is a uh, post tales of the cocktail. I am a uh, sleepy, sore, tired, and we're all a little bit hoarse at this point because we have either been going to gigantic parties, working mm-hmm. a ton of doubles, maybe drinking a lot of alcohol, and uh, lots of hugs and high fives. I think all week long. Yeah, so. those hugs lots are taken out of you. It really. Well. I feel yeah. like the the, uh, the soul has been hugged out of me <laughs> this week. But uh, um, it's it's great to have you on the show, Michelle. Um, Thank you. You've You've been a great friend to both me and Cole for years and years. Uh, we got to know you uh, from one side of your uh, professional career, and now you've transitioned to this n- new side of your yeah. professional career. Yeah. Um, yeah. Why don't you go ahead and start off with uh, just talking about, you know. How I got started. Exactly. That. <laughs> okay. So uh, in college, I was uh, rooming with a friend who was working for Red Bull at the time and kind of got on doing some odd and odd promotions for them and then we went to well actually I got discovered at <laughs> <laughs> Republic and um it was a Hennessy Belvedere uh lady she was like oh do you want to come work for me I pay my girls $25 an hour and I was like yes how much were you making with Red Bull <laughs> I was making 15 with Red Bull Ooh, so yeah, I was like oh okay so then I started working for them doing promotions like that was when Hennessy was trying to introduce themselves as a mixer so they had the Hennessy New Orleans the Hennessy Paris the Hennessy New York and it was all these those different were, crazy those were cocktails they were cocktails. Okay. The Hennessy New York was like Coke and uh, Hennessy. New Orleans was cranberry Sprite and Hennessy. I'm not kidding. I've got to. I've got to circle back. They they named the Hennessy and Coke specifically the, the Hennessy Ken- Hennessy New, New York. That's how they call it. Hennessy Paris. Hennessy New York. Nothing. Else. Hennessy, what was New the Orleans. Paris? Paris was something like sa- sweet and sour mix, uh, some kind of bitters. And something else. I can't remember. Maybe soda. I'm not super sure. The New sound, Orleans, yeah, I remember. That sounds pretty good. Like, yeah. I gotta say, like, Hennessy, <laughs> New York, a little short. Hennessy and Coke. That's they just were, real America. Yeah. yeah, they were good. They were, right. I mean, I didn't drink Hennessy at the time. I didn't okay. even, you know, know what that was, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Representing I, huh. something you don't even know what I it remember is. A few years, this would have been a few years after that, but I remember when I was at Loa, we did a party because they released Hennessy Black, and mm-hmm. Hennessy Black was specifically designed to be a mixing cognac. Mm-hmm. It was oh. it basically it was just really it was essentially a low flavor cognac. <laughs> it was just it was like yeah, it's not not super cognac. It's designed to be mixed with cranberry or, or oh, apple okay. juice. Um but it was also the marketing of that seemed racist even by the standards <laughs> of liquor industry marketing. It's like NAC Black, the slogan was done different. 
<laughs> and and it was designed to be consumed the way that I think they perceive black people to be consuming cognac, oh, which God. is mixed with cranberry juice or whatever. Oh, and God. I was like, that's just all on top of each other. And yeah, it was just, it felt... Uh, <laughs> Anyhow. Yeah, I don't think that exists anymore. I don't they don't have Hennessy Black anymore? I Maybe not. I'm not super familiar with the Hennessy profile. Uh, they're lovely people, but I have not seen Hennessy Black in a decade, I don't think. Maybe it's still this out there. Been... Maybe I just don't work in those bars. Yeah. Maybe. All right, so you uh, you moved over to Hennessy. That's <laughs> yeah, that got so, you into the, the liquor biz. How that how that work out for you? Um, it was fun. I mean, I was in college, so it was kind of like you take jobs whenever you want to. You work promotions if you want to work them, and so I was, I think, waiting tables at the time. I mean, when I first moved here, because I'm from the North Shore originally, but when I first moved here, I finished up at UNO, and I took a semester off to save money, and that did not happen. Mm -hmm. So um, I was working as a waitress and doing promotions. And you were at Pasco Manali's, is that correct? I was. I originally started at a restaurant that doesn't exist anymore, Mm -hmm. but it's where Coquette is now, I think, if that still exists. Was it the sushi restaurant before? It was a sushi restaurant before that, and then it was like, uh, it was called Table One. Table one. After oh, yeah. living room. So living room, table one, then it was the like, sushi restaurant. Literally and then it was right after Katrina, because I moved here a oh. year after Katrina. So mm-hmm. it was literally a year after Katrina that table one was yeah. what yeah. it was called. Not to go on a tangent on here real quick. We all, we've talked about real estate and like opportunities for like businesses in New Orleans. Uh, I think Coquette, um, which I love, it's a really great restaurant. They do really great things there. Oh, uh, you know, Cole. I was on their founding staff. It yeah, was from Coquette. It was amazing. Oh. Um that was a location that I think a lot of people were like, this is a cursed location. No restaurant can ever make it here. I mean, it was like four mm. or five things before. I was told that whenever yeah. I worked there. Before yeah. it was Coquette. And I think that's just a good show that like, you know, if you've got the right concept, if you've got the right people in place, like location doesn't matter in this city. It's super tiny. Yeah. And that's yeah. an awesome building. But it's, it is a great location. Yeah. It's on Magazine yeah. in Washington. It's, it was, it was a, the perfect location for that concept. I think a lot of the problem wasn't, even the location before yeah. it was just the People restaurants not, weren't yeah. run the right. I mean, maybe the it maybe was the wrong location for an extremely high end sushi restaurant, but it was mm. a, it was a great location for a restaurant generally. Right. Yeah. Um, I think. Oh, and I should note also talking about real estate just a little bit. When Coke had <laughs> opened, the Japanese restaurant that was there before had failed so spectacularly that <laughs> they were actually paying Coquette's not all of it, but they were subsidizing Coquette's lease for like the first five years that the restaurant was open because it was cheaper for them to get out of their lease and. Still pay a part of it because they were both their their lease was expensive and their operation was expensive. Yeah. So to shut down the operation and still pay part of the lease was cheaper than staying open. Well, the, the overhead for sushi grade fish has got to be crazy. I right? can't imagine. I mean, yeah, and, and if you're like and if you're not busy enough and you're, if you've got so much loss there, I mean, yeah. that's that time when you see that happy hour one dollar roll special. <laughs> and you're just like, uh, mm. I don't want to pay for a cheap discount sushi. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I think that's questionable. A, I think that's an Anthony Bourdain thing. I think that's a really great advice. <laughs> don't you do don't eat cheap sushi. sushi. <laughs> Gas station sushi, though. <laughs> no, grocery store sushi sometimes. I don't know. Grocery store sushi. So college Michelle. Yes. Um, so I then got on with Bacardi. Um, and you guys know my wonderful boyfriend, Martin Kruger. Mm-hmm. He was my boss. <laughs> That's a story in itself. But uh, <laughs> we did not date while he was my boss. Let me make that clear. How long after? <laughs> um, roughly, he had left and went to Red Bull. And I would say about a year or two after he was with Red Bulls, whenever we started 
Um, okay, so it was a respectful okay. amount of time. Yes, I mean, well, we were both in relationships. Uh, when we first met, we were single, but when we, when I started working for him uh, as a promo girl, it was probably maybe four to five months of us being single, and then we both got into relationships mm. and lived with our respective, mm. you know. So, so serious. Well, I'm glad yeah. that it's worked out with you guys. You guys are yeah. like the cutest couple. I mean, oh. <laughs> if you guys Thank were you. like friends and like not together i'd be like what the hell is going what's on? wrong with like, those two like, kids was, can't they see they're in love somebody with each told other? me the other day that we were like brother and sister i was God, like what a horrible what? thing to say to people. i can't remember who said that to me and i was like that's creepy yeah, like, yeah. yes it is please don't tell somebody that i've, I've been with him for can, almost seven years now right. and i'm like that is the creepiest thing I anyone can see has there ever being said to a bit me. of like oh you guys are so close you're like family but yes, there's a way to say that without fine. being creepy, creepy probably you're like a brother and a sister hooking up yeah. No, like, why would you say that to me? I cannot remember. It was somebody here. It was recent. Yeah. Mm. I don't remember who it was. So when you say you work for Bacardi, you work for team, right? I'd say team, yeah. Cool. I, I generally say t- Bacardi just so right. it's easier to explain. So that's an interesting thing um, I'd like to touch on a little bit as well. Uh, so for most people, um, I, I don't even know what the reason is for having team. So team basically is mm. the uh, the company that Bacardi has that does all of their events, if, that, if I'm correct. No, it's no, um, no, team wrong. is... <laughs> team. Wrong about that. <laughs> so most brands uh, hire an agency mm-hmm. to do their marketing. Mm-hmm. And so that's what team is. Like uh, Diageo, at least, I don't know if this is still accurate, but MKTG is like a team enterprise. And they market Diageo's portfolio. Mm-hmm. So instead of having in-house marketing, they outsource right. their marketing. What else, what other products does team enterprise market? They do a bunch of stuff. I know they had Marlboro as a client once upon a time. They had <laughs> all I the think, vices. <laughs> NASCAR, I think, was maybe. I could be wrong. Crazy. But they they have a. It's not just liquor that mm-hmm. they do. They do a wide variety. Of, they have a wide variety of clients that okay. they uh, manage. I guess. Is there? Do you know? Is there a legality issue with uh, Bacardi ha- not being able to have their own marketing team, or do you think it's just? Is it just a convenience thing? Like it makes more sense for them to. Outsourcing marketing. I don't know. To be honest with you, I don't know. But my guess would be that because Mm -hmm. maybe it's just too much of a hassle for them to have to deal with it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how, you know, that on that scale of a business being run, but I would think it would be easier to do in house, but maybe it's harder. I don't Mm -hmm. know. Honestly. Okay. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, nobody does it in house. At least none of the big brands yeah. do, do any of them. None that I know. I mean, well, with the exception of now that I know Deep Betty does because mm-hmm. that's where Martin is currently. Right. So, and that's technically like Heaven Hill when they brought bought them. They said, "You guys are doing so well. Just keep doing you the way mm. that you're doing it." Yeah. So they left it one to where the actual brand markets their own brand. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's see. We're up to you are now working oh. for is after college you're doing still promo work that's when you yeah. we got we got sidetracked because you met your boo <laughs> I know sorry <laughs> <laughs> no that's great sidetracks are what they're bread and butter here well <laughs> yeah ADD maybe a little bit <laughs> um, a little bit <laughs> a little um yeah so I uh started well I was still in college so in order to I, I knew that I was going to kind of go into the liquor industry at this point because I, I was already doing stuff for about two years. And so I was like, well, I'm good at this. I can. And Martin actually was a really good boss. He would like teach me stuff and help me like learn and like grow in the brand. So it was, he actually gave me my first recommendation for my job with Budweiser. Cause that was the first job I got out of college mm-hmm. was I was marketing uh, Budweiser's portfolio 
um, doing promotions. Like I managed girls and hired them, set up promotions. I had like maybe 20 accounts. It was very small scale, Mm -hmm. but I was doing that. That was my first job out of college. It took me six months to find that job. Okay. Because I graduated at the best time ever. (laughs) It was like the depression or whatever. So that was fun. And then um, I left Budweiser about a year and a half later because they they got rid of the job that I was doing. Like the brand in general just like nicks my position. Mm. Mm -hmm. Did so well. You just uh, made mm, yourself obsolete. Well, there was one of me in every distributor. Okay. So I worked for the distributor, Mm -hmm. but I was paid by the brand. If that makes any sense. Sure. No, I, I, again, why? I don't so, know. So, so, there, there's, there's, the distributor is Southern Eagle. The yep. brand is Budweiser. You yeah. technically work for Southern Eagle at this time, but you're being paid by Budweiser. Yes. How is that even? I mean, there's the, I don't know. the tiered system. Okay, so if, for yeah. those of you who are unaware, there's the there's the a three tier system mm. in in the states, and it's sort of a legacy of prohibition. So you've got producers, that's tier one. Then there's tier two, which are distributors, and there's tier three, which are people who actually sell the product to consumers, either on premise or off premise. So bars are on premise, uh, stores are off premise because mm-hmm. it's where the product is consumed, and there are a lot of rules about how you can collaborate. So, for, which for me as a bar owner, I'm not allowed to work for a brand directly. Mm-hmm. I can work with a brand. I can be paid by a brand as a contractor, but I can't be on the payroll of a brand. And for, but I feel like that's the only like, but a, that's the only thing that really is still enforced. I feel like that mm-hmm. like people can work distributors and brands work together so closely again yeah, that yeah. you could yeah. be working for one and paid by another. Yeah, but the there's still a real barrier somehow between. People who are in that third tier at working with either of the first two, and in a lot of ways that seem sort of like there's a legacy there legally that doesn't have that doesn't hold up anymore. Yeah, I yeah, me. and I and I see what you're saying because it's like ideally, I think that the brand is paying the distributor mm-hmm. in a sense. Like if we really look at it, right? Because there are some jobs within the distributor. Like I think Pernod had a brand within Republic. Or had a person working within Republic, but they were paid by Pernod. Hmm. So but that's was, fairly standard practice, then. Yeah, but it was, but it was through. They were still paid through the distributor. I don't huh. like. It's kind of confusing. So maybe it's you're very, right. Maybe it's, it's it is like a, a, a legal, like something that they have to funnel money yeah, a certain some, way. Some or something I remember like that. there was a point um, that when I was applying for a job with Republic, which is one of the big local distributors here, and. They they said that one of the requirements for the job was a belief in the value of the three tier system. Are you and, yeah, that was part of the application. And I I mean I said yes because I wanted the job. But... You have to put your hand on a Bible. <laughs> I swear to uphold it's like when you the three tier system. It's like when you get a, when you apply for a government job and they ask you like write your own level of honesty. It's yeah. like it's a five. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> well, because the three tier systems are not everywhere, right? That's, yeah, it's that's the federal only... regulation. But yeah. it's, it's, I mean, it's the, <laughs> it's the antiquated system f- that basically was put in place after prohibition to try mm. and control, like you know, alcohol flow, but also to make sure that the people who were controlling the alcohol were making as much money as possible, and that the government was getting their cut as yeah. well too, which is yeah, yeah, creates another tier for sales, so you can have another place where you can tax. But I think yeah. ostensibly it was designed to. Pre- prevent 
oh, like collaboration. That they felt like if people, if one person could control all three tiers, then they could. They basically had a monopoly. Mm-hmm. So it was prevent that kind of power being accumulated. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, that power is like. Anheuser Busch owns Southern Eagle, I yep. think. Right. So that's that's a d- well, producer owning the. It's not Anheuser Busch anymore, but you know, yeah, they, they, they producers that. own the distributors a lot of the time. It's like that's complete right. integration. That's no, the point of the law is not. It does not work anymore, yeah. basically. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's a lot of legislation on the book. Unless I need to work for a republic, in which case it works great. <laughs> <laughs> Cole believes in the three-tier system, system. with his whole He has heart. his hand on a Bible right now. <laughs> in Cole's life, it's the three-tier system, his wife, 12-mile limit, and then me. And then America. And then America. <laughs> I'm glad that I've gone above America. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's pretty. I, I beat you, America, damn it. <laughs> Finally. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, so I was uh, with them uh, for about a year. I'm, I lasted, I'll say it like that, because once they got rid of my position, they were like, oh, what are we going to do with you? At least they kept me on. <laughs> what are you going to do with you? Um, so, yeah, they well, moved. That's, that's a vote of confidence that yeah. your job doesn't exist anymore. We will find a way to continue working you with guys you. guys will laugh at what I ended up doing. I became a graphic designer. <laughs> I have no graphic design experience, but all I did was like put stuff in templates and like I made I made table tents that you get from your sales reps. I made I made like posters and like that kind of stuff. It Mm -hmm. actually was kind of fun, you guys. I'm not gonna lie. I got into a little bit of graphic design in my last job just because uh, we had to update our menus mm. every uh, every day. We had a rotating list of uh, oysters, uh, so every day I had to run to the office in the hotel and update our oyster list. But uh, <laughs> the uh, it was so bad. The uh, uh, so we had uh, at at the at my former employer's uh, uh, hotel, we had one authorization for uh, Photoshop. I think it was Photoshop or some Adobe product yeah, to do yeah. all of our editing inside it. So there's only one computer we could use to do all that stuff yeah. on. Oh, geez. Because uh, there's only one license because anyone licenses it for all the... It would have been tremendously yeah, expensive to license Yeah, because it's expensive to put those yeah. programs on here. Your- um, and then I remember one day I went to go change the... Uh, to do the menus and I'd finally gotten used to like this template and how to use everything. And I, I go to like do it, and all of that program's deleted. And somebody's like, "Oh yeah, we're using InDesign now." And I'm just so like, like, "What learn. the fuck is InDesign?" <laughs> so I'm just like, "Oh, it's this new thing. It'll be a lot easier." It's so like it's not easier if I don't know how to use it. I, I just mean, learned how to do that old one. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, but I mean, that was even having a little bit of uh, experience with that. Um, I would never never disparage somebody for having to do something like working with templates and like yeah. doing design and just spacing things out. I, I think like really talented graphic designers are severely underrated and underpaid in like every oh, yeah. industry across the board. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. so funny that people will go to graphic designers and say like, Hey, I'm looking for like a logo or branding for something like that. And they think that like, it's a really cheap, like uh, it's not um, service to render. It's not. Yeah. It's, it's a it's, lot of hours yeah. that they put in to do. I have a friend who's a graphic designer and like he does, it's a lot of editing. I mean, it's a lot of like on the computer, like you're spending hours, like, mm-hmm looking at one thing and trying to make it to what your client is looking for, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. So my best experience with that was, um, I, when I was president of the USBG chapter down here, um, a big priority for me was to try and, uh, work with, uh, our members and with the rest of our board at the time to brand the chapter. Cause I thought it was really important to have like a logo that we could get behind. Because yeah. like once we had some like logo, we could like go to people with cars or we could make t-shirts or even have like those Fernet challenge coins like ready to go. Yeah. Um, so like we pulled like the entire membership and we said like, you know, what do we want our logo to look like? And I took all those notes and I reached out to a friend, uh, Lee Doming, 
Um, he's married to uh, Elizabeth Pierce now. Um, she does the drink and learn tours mm-hmm. through the quarter that do okay. like yeah. drinking history tours. They're pretty. They're really good. Super, oh. super she talented. Does a lot of writing. Yeah. Super talented graphic oh, okay. designer owns a company called Southpaw. I believe I haven't. Talked I've heard of that actually. Right Southpaw. On. Yeah. yeah. So he actually did all the work pro bono, but like through that too, wow. he wrote up like uh, you know a list of like you know the, the services rendered and everything like because it was probably like a tax write off or something like that because mm. we're a nonprofit, but. Uh, uh, for one, it was really uh, it was super nice of him. He did a really great job yeah. with it. Also, I think graphic designers have to deal with people making really dumb requests all the time. Like, could you take this off? Could you adjust this? Like, mm-hmm. our logo was a uh, a strainer, a bar strainer, and notes were like, could you make the the more loops on the spring on the strainer? Could really? you take the the notches <laughs> off the top? And he would just look at me like. What the fuck, dude? <laughs> I'm this for free. And don't you feel like it's almost kind of like they're creating something, so it's their art, and then you're critiquing their that art. Was, you know what exactly I mean? It. So it's no, like that was it. Like I gave him loose ideas, he came up with something great, and all, every, all of a sudden everybody had an opinion about it. But you loved it. I, I loved <laughs> it. I, like, I, I fought very hard. Our branding right now is. Yeah, I've seen. I've actually great. seen the logo. Uh, I remember I when you're saying you describing yeah. it. I actually remember best, seeing that. Best logo in the USBG. Thanks, thanks, Lee. I don't know. You are excellent and. If anybody's looking for graphic design work, Southpaw, reach out to him. Yeah. He's probably super busy. It's very exclusive services. So. <laughs> top dollar. Pay that man top dollar. <laughs> wow, another lovely tangent. Uh, we Where were we at, Michelle? Um, I think I was doing graphic design. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I did that. It was like one of those sitting at, sitting at a desk, eight to five type. And I'm, you guys know me. I'm a talker. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I can't be sitting down doing nothing. You know, I have to be out socializing. Right. And so um, I ended up, this is the funniest thing. So Martin's old job for team, he was, you know, he managed like 80 accounts within the New Orleans area, did all the events, the special events, you know, like Zoo to Do and um, Lark in the Park, those yeah. sort of things. Anything that we Bacardi sponsored. Yeah, Zero Classic, uh, that kind of stuff. And... <sighs> I saw the po- it was on Craigslist. I know I, I was just randomly searching for a job mm-hmm. and I saw it on Craigslist and I said, Is this for real? So I texted Kevin Casey, who was the uh, sales manager at the time, market manager mm-hmm. for Bacardi, because I still had a relationship with him. And I was like, Are y'all looking for somebody? <laughs> I was like, I'm interested. And so he, I actually, my interview was. Almost nothing because it was like they had all known me for, you know, three years. I was I was actually the team lead for Martin and the period of time when Martin left and went to Red Bull. They didn't have anybody in that position for a few months. And I was actually doing some of the responsibilities of Mm -hmm. what that position was. So it's like I just had that foundation of relationship with them. And so um, I did start with Bacardi doing that. My first position name was team brand specialist. Mm -hmm. And then it changed to key account manager. Okay. Same job. They just changed some of the KPIs, key point indicators, mm-hmm. things that we had to like. New cards and everything. Uh, new cards. <laughs> I got new cards. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know why they do that, why they change act, like the name. I, mm. I don't get it. But anyways, um, so I did that for about two years. Martin was still with Red Bull at the time. And Kevin was leaving to do he was getting a um you know a better position or a higher up position mm-hmm. and they were looking for somebody to replace him and i was still working with kevin at that time and i said you know um martin mentioned that he's not like super happy right now <laughs> and he's like what are you serious 
he would, and I was like, I mean, you can fish it, like, you know, see if he's interested. So they took him to lunch, like, the Mm -hmm. next day. (laughs) And a week later, Martin was coming on board Bacardi to replace Kevin. And he would have technically been my client, Mm -hmm. right? So, (laughs) yeah. There were no... um, laws or rules or anything because team is not Bacardi. Mm-hmm. So there's no rules that like a couple could, you know, be together and date and work together in that right. sense. And so, but we felt that maybe living together and working together, because sometimes we don't get along. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we were kind of like, maybe this is an opportunity. I've been in the position for two years. It is one of those positions where it's a step stepping stone job. And I just could not figure out for the life of me what I wanted to do next. Mm-hmm. I was just like, I have no idea. So Martin was like, why don't you just take some time off and figure out what you want to do? Cool. Well, and, I think that's like part one of the of the Michelle story on this one, too, yeah. which is really interesting. Because up to that point, um, if I'm not mistaken, Cole, I would have associated Michelle with, um, I would personally associate with like liquor. Like she's going <laughs> to stay in this industry. She's going to just find like, she's going to go work for Pernod Ricard next or whomever and like mm. stay with that side. Kind of. That's a, Yeah. I mean, I don't, that's sort of what people do. They just, they mo- yeah. on the, on the, the, the bounce from brand to brand. And so, yep. they, yeah, those. Higher up and higher up, and I feel like there's no loyalty in that kind of sense. Like, uh, well, there's no loyalty uh, in the American. Job there's loyalty to yourself. What I mean by that yeah. is, like, you have to take care of you. <laughs> right. And if an opportunity comes and it just so happens to be with a competing competing brand, it's yeah. like you can't just. But, but it used you know. to be that people would. I mean, just broadly, not even in this industry specifically, people mm-hmm. would take one job and they would work for the same company the rest of their lives and they yep. would work up and up and up and up in that company, but you wouldn't bounce around. Mm-mm. Nowadays, that's just not the case. You yep. take whatever opportunities you get. Yeah. Then, which, is, which is good. But yeah, that, that you know, our, our company is a family and we'll, we'll take care of each other. Is, people still say those kinds of things, but it doesn't, it doesn't have the same depth of meaning that it may once have. I think so, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, and I, I think what's important with this too is um, there's there's a little bit of narrative here with, and I think this extends to our industry and a lot of industries as well, maybe like with American professionals in general, with just like a job kind of defining who you are. Yeah. You know, like people get to know you in a certain role and they start associating you with that. Like, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, Michelle works McCart- with liquor. She's that late. McCarty Marty. Right? Yeah, That's what everybody knew Martin as McCarty Marty. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I think it'd be very hard for people to separate me from being a bartender or Cole mm-hmm. being a bartender. I think you're you're, you're better. You you straddle like social yeah. spheres very well. So I, I, don't think I can move in different circles, but I'm still like people – People who don't know me especially well can recognize me out, and they're like, 12-mile limit. <laughs> it's, it's the, yeah, I'm associated with that brand. Right. Yes. So we're going from, like, running big parties and special events and yeah. lots of drinking and everything. And Although I didn't really drink that much. You no, know, you never did. <laughs> On occasion. I've seen drunk uh, Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, there's not Michelle. to say that I, yeah, drunk Michelle's right. Everything <laughs> in moderation, including moderation, right? <laughs> But, uh, um, you know, I think I, I it's not that I was surprised to see what your new um, career venture was, your new yeah. professional venture was, um, but it seemed like a bit of a 180. Um, <laughs> so um, I, I guess, I mean, that's just a poor way to put it, because I don't think it's, it's one of the things where you have to look at it being a dichotomy, like you're doing this and now you're doing this. It's just yeah. like, you know, you took some time off and thought about what would make you happy and the yep. things that you wanted to concentrate on. Uh, so That's l- literally talk. it. Yeah. Cool. I mean, that's kind of what, I, 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 that's how I started, was 
what's going to make me happy? What am I passionate about? Because uh, what I loved about working for Bacardi was the history behind brands. Mm-hmm. I loved hearing the stories. Like, that was really interesting to me, How what goes into the products, how they make stuff, you know. I thought that that was really fascinating. So I thought maybe... Some, I don't know what that would be, but like a brand ambassador kind of crossed my mind at some point. But then I was like, I think you have to have had owned a bar or, you know, had been like a, some kind of a, a famous person to mm-hmm. be able to go into a brand role. Or, you know, I felt like maybe I couldn't necessarily do that because I can't create the kind of cocktails that you guys create. You know, I, I was more of like... Old you're fashioned. The, you're one of the original proprietors of, of the Hennessy and Coke. I mean. <laughs> but I mean, I, I felt like it wasn't necessarily like the direction I wanted to go in. And so uh, part of me was like, okay, well, I've always been kind of weird about food and like health and stuff. Like on, in my personal time, I was very um, cautious of what I ate. At the time, it was more of the calories in, calories out type deal where everybody was concerned about their calories. I was that person who counted my calories, Mm. like no lie. And I don't know, I kind of went from uh, maybe like a personal trainer or a dietitian, but I would have had to go back to school for like four years and then do Mm. an internship for like two years and then it would have been... I was like, I would be like 40 by the time I'm done and like starting my new career. And I didn't want to do that. Uh, And then this school kept popping up every time I would research, you know, health or anything related to that. This school, uh, the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, would just keep popping up in my feed. And so one day I called them to see what is this school about and literally signed up on the spot. I was and like, yeah, on. want to do this. It's a hell of a sales pitch. Yeah. I mean, well, what they, they're, they're smart because what they did was, um, they had old students like graduates mm-hmm. were their admissions people. Okay. And so the guy that I was talking to was like, yeah, I just, I graduated from this school. Like this was my experience with this school. These are the type of things that you'll be learning. Um, they sent me like sample videos. It was, it was really, really, at that time, for me, it felt very serendipitous. Hmm. You know, like it would just it was meant to happen for me. Mm-hmm. And so, a large part of for me in school was shaping my my mindset around health, understanding that you can't trust <laughs> the government. You can't trust. Um, you, you can't drink hey, milk for. Hey, healthy America's drinks. in my top five right now. <laughs> there were things. Oh, <laughs> You Barely. Guys. We all know that the last, the last, the number five slot is just, just a place just a throwaway. It's just the throwaway. It always is. Mm. Yeah. God, Cole, you're horrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy though, because a large part of like what I learned in school uh, was basically question everything. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just no, you can't even, even Googling stuff, like even trying to find good resources of who to trust uh, for recommendations on certain things. That's hard. You have yeah. to be very strategic in, in who you trust right. on the internet because it's like people are out there just spouting advice, but they don't they sure. don't have any credentials or they don't know anything or they're being paid by the government right. or they're being paid by big food or a company, you know, that kind of thing. It's so, like uh, I think the most recent one, like it was the big health kick-ish, like coconut oil was a big one. Like yes. everybody's just like, oh my God, coconut oil is like this miracle thing. Like you could just cook with it and it's so healthy and like you're going to be... Soy was another one. Soy, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I, I think mean, what it is is the government, in my mind, I think that the government... 
here's these things and they're like, okay, how can we make money off of this? Right. In the cheapest way possible. Yeah, I think people are very quick to adopt trends as well, too. Like, oh, uh, totally. I mean, like just that American mentality is like a quick fix thing. And um, I'd love mm-hmm. to hear your perspective on this as well because, like, it's all about fad diets. It's all yep. about, like, what's that food I can eat immediately to get healthy? And, like, I, I, I am, I, for all those viewers who haven't seen me in, in real life, I'm, I'm not the healthiest person in the world. I'm, I'm a little bit overweight. I'm pretty yes, overweight. Yes, but you're trying, and that's what matters. <laughs> I am trying, which is what matters. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, I go through these spurts where, like, you know, okay, I'm going to start eating right. I'm going to start working out. But I realize I just, I never make the commitment to it. So it's like, yeah. it's not going to work. It's like, there's no quick solution to just being like, all right, I'm going to switch it over. And, like, and this is what's going to happen. I think, Cole, like, for you, definitely, I don't know how long it's been, maybe two years or something like that, you made a very conscious decision. I made a very like, conscious decision. It's a little over two and a half, about two and a half years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mostly quit drinking in a way that I'd gone through pretty much my entire drinking life from like 15 to 30. I would go through a cycle where I would drink a lot and then mm-hmm. drink a lot, lot. And then <laughs> some night I would do something stupid and I'd feel really bad about myself. So mm-hmm. I'd be like, you know what? I need to, I need to take it easy. Yeah. So I would like quit for a month or however long, clean myself up and then be like, okay, I can, I can get back into this and start, you know, just, just a couple, you know, here and there and then <laughs> start to feel invincible again. And then eventually yeah, yeah. the cycle would repeat itself. I would drink a lot and then I would do something stupid and feel bad and then repeat. It was about every six months for like 15 years. Yeah. Um, and, then eventually I did, you know, the something like the, the third time you wake up on the sidewalk. <laughs> it, was like, it was like, maybe this is, maybe I'm approaching this wrong. And so it, it's like, <laughs> wait, you don't think that's going to get better? Wait, no. Yeah. <laughs> you don't like sleeping on the sidewalk? <laughs> I, I was fine with it, but my fiance was not. One day point. you black out and you wake up and you're king of Europe or something like that. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Um, so it was one of those like, that I was. You know, I was trying to carve off the wrong piece of the iceberg. You yeah. know, that there's the, like the, the instead of just trimming off a little bit off the top, it was the ninety percent that you that was the thing. So instead of like, I had to f- invert the ratios. So yeah. I I did the same. Like, I'm not going to drink anything for a month, and then it was like, I'm I'm never I don't want to get drunk anymore, and I, I miss it. I love getting drunk. It was <laughs> super fun. And it, there's the thing I miss, and it was about two and a half years now, and that was that was a switch. That was a switch you can just flip, and if you just basically cut. 90 plus percent of the alcohol out of your diet that's a lot of calories you're talking about counting calories and even sugar. The, the any the sm- the least amount of calories in a, in a serving of alcohol is like 100 you know where Michelob Ultra is around that mm. and that's, that's about the as low as you can get and there's just there's just nothing else yeah it's sugar but it's all it's so it absorbs so quickly I mean yeah. you I can mean, basically it's poison, eat, as well. it's, it's poison <laughs> too I mean, and, yeah and it makes you like, it legitimately makes that's choice. legitimately so, what it's like, I, I sleep better it's easier for me to get to the <laughs> gym I'm more productive in, yep. just in my work because I'm not hung over four times a week yeah I mean I I, I don't eat terrible th- I still eat that's terrible the things. other that's the one that's like, <laughs> I eat like a we know you sure. love fried chicken at McDonald's Cole. I do I do <laughs> documented everything, on show. everything in moderation I'll, I'll even, right. yeah I go to McDonald's once a month or so but I'm not like hitting the drive-thru on the way home at 4 o'clock in the morning twice a week yeah. because I'm drunk. Yeah. Yep. But I, that's another thing, too. Like, uh, I mean, quick fix is like, okay, I'm going to stop drinking. Then I'm going to be in shape. But besides that, too, like, you, you know, you got Orange Theory Fitness. You're, like, you I know, do. working out a whole I do. I, go, I do. I work out with Orange Theory at, at once a week. That's yeah. my average. So and, that, and that was another thing that it was, like, it's, if, because I kept doing it. Right. That was, yep. you know, like, you go for a month, and it was like, hey, I feel great. And then it's like... I fixed it. Yeah. But yeah, you got it. The consistency is important. So that's, now. that was the other big change that, that was like, so I dropped about 
probably 15 pounds within the month of having quit drinking. And then my weight is about the same now, but I like my shape a little bit better now that I'm going to the gym. Do you feel like like it's more of the the feeling too? Like, because I have a theory that. Um, whenever you start getting into health and, you know, you're doing right by you, which I also think is self-love and that's Mm -hmm. super important. I feel like you're chasing the feeling, that feeling of you saying like, I feel really good. I'm productive. I'm this. And it's like, you want that. Like once you achieve that for like a small amount of time, you're just like, I want to keep doing this because I want to chase that. At least that's Mm -hmm. my theory. And yeah. So yeah, the feeling feeling of the feeling I get from being, I mean, a moderate drinker is how I refer to it, but it's like a couple, most uh, most weeks is like a couple drinks a week. If yeah. That. Tales I'll have, I'll go up to a liberal policy on sipping and one whole <laughs> drink a day. That's my, <laughs> yeah. And honestly, yeah, when everyone around you constantly has alcohol, that that's, you know, you, you it, it's not hard to even, you know, consume a decent amount doing that. So it's, you have to keep a pretty high, pretty hard eye on it. Yeah. But Tails is actually pretty good because they always at all the tasting events they have spit buckets. Wow. They, yeah, that's I've what, seen that. Yeah, which not everyone does. Like you know, we're supposed to be professionals. This, this is supposed to be yeah. about tasting and not just getting hammered. <laughs> then you really should have spit buckets. All of all of the professional tasters spit. If you go to wine tastings, they'll spit. And a lot of spirit events don't have that. And I feel like that's really. That should yeah. be a baseline. That should be a given. Yeah. And I'm really happy that Tails is one of the few that just consistently Started does. Doing that. I just, if, I, if, if I'm at an event where they don't have it, I'll just get a cup. You know, I'll have like the cup that I'm sipping off of and then the spit cup. And I just, just spit just, on the ground. <laughs> yeah, it's their own damn fault for not giving me a Screw space you, to Marion. do it. I'm yeah, so they should just have they should have spittoons. That would be <laughs> they can make that ring yeah. sound. Ba-ding. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> All right. But yeah, the feedback loop is what you're talking about. That that is I mean, the immediacy of stopping drinking and then like shedding weight and just feeling so much better. Like, yeah, it's like I miss getting drunk. And what I really miss about getting drunk is the unpredictability. <laughs> like, I know what my life is. I know where I'm going to wake up in the morning now. Yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't before. Yeah. Uh, and that, well, and so. there's all these adventures and inside jokes and people, you know, do silly things. Mm. So it's like, that's fun. You know? Yeah. But I, I also realize, I, I mean, I think it's part for me, there's an advantage because I grew up, my parents were were heavy drinkers and I don't think it was ever super problematic but it just seemed normal at the time to be in yeah. that culture it was kind of like I mean they grew up in the 50s and 60s when everyone's parents drank all the time so there yeah. was part of that gener- yeah exactly you know, yeah, they t- but they taught me how to bartend they right. taught me how to mix cocktails sometimes yeah, yeah that's cool yeah it was it was cool I mean that's and I'm a bartender now for, and but that's a big part of the reason why mm. but you, also Harris. they took me to <laughs> 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 um, but also they took me to bars you know that I, I my mom was a pediatrician she got the measles once when I was a real little kid and so basically we they joke that we essentially moved into the Chevy Chase Lounge in, in DC <laughs> and my you know I Shirley Temples and Lounge Burgers and that was that was a week of my life when I was that a kid and it just I've always felt very comfortable basically be but I wasn't drinking obviously I was like a four-year-old so but I've always I grew up in this culture in a way that now a lot of people I know that quit drinking who because a lot of people in the industry I'm not the only person in the industry I was a drinking problem that's you know Mm-mm. so a lot of people feel like they have to remove themselves from the industry because that they associate being in bars with drinking so heavily yeah. but I don't because I grew up in bars not drinking so yeah. I can be part of this community in a way that still feels healthy and normal and fun and not drink. Yeah. yeah. How do you feel? And I, I don't, and this might be an unpopular opinion, but I definitely feel that um, the sobriety thing as a bartender has been 
almost a trend this past year. <laughs> I was like, going to say, I've It's seen... been like the hot new trend is just like, oh, I am a sober. Like, there's like listicles out there about like the things that I, you know, have accomplished now, like that I'm a sober bartender or like the advantages or like, how yeah. do I do this? And it's like, there's almost a cool factor that's being like is associated it a trend with that. Now? Yeah, like, I just say think I'm a it's really, Oh, I guess so, but it's just like, you don't brag about it like you know, you're very subtle about it like there's yeah like, I mean, a bartender I, God, who doesn't drink you can't yeah. trust that bartender right? god bless everybody <laughs> that's still, that's, what, you can't trust I, a, a, that's the, the, jo- the, the joke is that you yeah. can't you can't trust a bald barber a skinny cook or a sober bartender yeah. there you go yeah i mean bless anybody who's need to needed to sober up anybody who, there's a lot of problems there's a lot of substance abuse there's a lot of hard lifestyles and things like that so yeah. people who have gotten out of it but they still need to make their living by being a bartender, yeah, um, I, I definitely appreciate that. But kind of capitalizing on it, and then like you know the sober thing, yeah, like just yeah. like almost like finding a way to monetize it, or that's kind of your shtick or something like that, and almost like also like degrading the lifestyle of drinking. Like I've definitely seen like people, which is talking what your about, lifestyle like, is as a bartender. Yeah, I yeah. see what you're saying. Yeah, people, that's kind of lifestyle livelihood. livelihood. As a bar like a owner, I have no interest in everyone else quitting drinking. Right. I've, yeah, I've, I mean, I've I've never been a huge proponent about drinking behind bars, but like I've I've been looped into conversations recently where people are like it's like that is like wrong and it's worse. You're a terrible bartender if you take a shot behind the bar. And what? I'm just like, oh, that's I don't know, guys. I think like it, it doesn't have to be so far to the other side or one yeah, side or anything like that. There it's can like be a balance, middle ground. Yeah. Um, I I haven't made a big deal about this for the most part. I, I've been talking to people at Twelve Mile about this, but I'm actually seven weeks sober at this point. I haven't had a drink in seven weeks, and uh, I thought Tales of the Cocktail would really be the test for that. Yeah. And it wasn't until my closing shift here at Twelve Mile on Saturday when a lot of friends came in, and yeah. uh, there was a lot of offers for shots. Um, but everybody was very polite about when I said I was not drinking at the time. I think they understood because it was very busy. Yeah. Um, and then last night was very challenging. Um, I invited a whole bunch of people to come out to do karaoke over at Cajun's Pub. And um, you know, How do you do karaoke without drinking? Oh, well, I, just, <laughs> oh I have a real problem singing in public. <laughs> that was another thing. Like, I, I was really worried that I, there were going to be things that I didn't like anymore. Like, I, didn't, I didn't really know myself sober in a, in a real way. Uh, so I was worried... Like, am I still gonna like football? Am I still gonna, <laughs> am I still gonna like dancing? Yeah. Am I still gonna, you know, and yeah, it's like, it turns out, yeah, I still like, I still. I still like being crazy in bars late at night, too. Cole like, stops drinking and turns into John yeah. Lithgow from Footloose. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, so... But, but that is so, But karaoke is yeah. one of those things. It's like, yeah, it's like, it, is it a little harder to do sober? Yeah, but you're at, you are better at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you might not... You're more self-conscious of yourself. It's yeah. like, you're more judgmental, but yeah. you actually do sound better. But and I think... It, I would just want to note, when you said about uh, the decision that you made to switch to this lifestyle mm-hmm. I think that's a very important thing to note is that is where people need to get like in the sense that I, I can't work with somebody who's not ready to to be in that place mm-hmm. you know of like okay I'm gonna commit to this fully yeah I'm not gonna yo-yo I understand that this is a lifestyle and that I have to figure something out because I can't keep doing what I'm doing right you know so, so let's. Uh, I think that's a good transition. Um, what? Ex- how exactly would you describe yourself as a professional now, Michelle? What is your What is your job title? Mm, Speaking of titles, I well, I holistic health coach. Okay. I mean, currently because we just moved to LA, right? So I don't have a job right now because <laughs> I was going to find. I was uh, here when I was living here. I was working uh, at Raw Republic 
juice bar. I don't know if you guys are familiar, mm-hmm. um, but I was the operations manager there for a little while. And then when we moved to Miami, um, I kind of went and got my certification for yoga mm-hmm. last year. Um, traveled a lot, <laughs> took some time off, I guess, and then went to uh, this other juice bar that had just opened up in Miami. Mm-hmm. And I was working with them about three months, and then we found out we were moving to L.A. So I may do something with juice. Cool. I've always – I feel like I have to work at a juice bar so mm-hmm. that I can support my juicing habit right? because they give you discounts. <laughs> give you discounts. <laughs> yeah. it's, not, it's not cheap to do the juicing It's thing. not. Yeah. Well, and to that point, it's not cheap in general to be healthy because and that has a lot to do with the government because you know but i think that i'm sensing a big anti-government thing ah, here, Michelle. super Jeez. anti-government oh, are, are the, the opinions <laughs> of our food. guests do not reflect uh, the <laughs> yeah. views of all around with steve and cole i i think generally the government does a fairly good job of t- helping us not eat poison i think the, the government I, I don't have, i'm not a big anti-government person but i can see why they've engendered a lot of mistrust because a lot of lobbies from large agribusness right. it's really big food that, yeah, it's, big food. it's, it's more big beef. food mm. coming in and trying to push the government around and say, well, we're going to pull funding if you do this or whatever, right. you know, cause there was a, a period when I was in school and they were talking about the food pyramid mm-hmm. and how originally it, like what we ended up with was not what they came out. Like when the government did their studies and stuff, they were like, okay, you should not have that much bread, wheat, pasta, like all this stuff, you know, that shouldn't be the right. biggest part of your diet. The, well, the fact the that pyramid. dairy is listed on the original food pyramid at all is crazy, right? I mean, it's like, you it do is. not need that. You do not need dairy. Like that's calves need dairy, like milk. We don't need that. Yeah. We don't past, need to be eating cow baby food as people. It's delicious, but it's <laughs> yeah. really unnecessary. Yeah. yeah not, most people not can't stop even eating process cheese, it. Right. So, <laughs> but no, I think that's where I have a problem is them coming in and well they came in and they said um you know you're going to tell people that they can't they can't have more this much dairy or they're not supposed to eat this to our products like sugar came in and was like you shouldn't say that you know so like they kind of took over Mm -hmm. and then the pyramid was created which obviously they got rid of it for a reason because Mm -hmm. it was not correct but it was because big food intersected and was like you can't tell people not to buy our stuff like Mm -hmm. not to eat our food whatever Mm -hmm. so it was just that's that's I guess more what I say when I say the government. That's what I mean. It's more, it's more like big food. It's sure. more big food coming in. And you guys, I'm sure have seen like what the health is out right now. There's like um, uh, the sugar. I'm trying. I'm like blanking on the sugar documentary. Uh, <laughs> I forget what it is called, y'all. I'm like legit blanking. Hmm. But um, there's a bunch of documentaries out there, and they kind of touch on a lot of these points that big food comes in and has a very um, huge, con- like they're controlling the government in certain ways. Sure. I mean, yeah. it's a, it's capitalism, right? Yeah, but it's the intersection, but it is be- it's the intersection between capitalism and governance. You know, the, the campaign finance laws, I think is yeah. something you could really point at. And I just be- don't think you can separate capitalism from our American form of government. Well, well the that, government should be, the government us, should exist yeah. to regulate the market, not to serve the interests of the market. Well, I there's think a lot of the- things that should exist. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but that's, uh, 
So, that's a different so we've got some work to do, guys. One for office. So, uh, so Michelle, that's great. Worked at a couple juice bars. Um, I know that while you were still here and before you moved to Miami, you were taking on uh, clients um, for holistic coaching and everything yeah. like that. Um, and the clients that I know that you took were service industry. Yeah. Um, and I honestly think that's just fantastic. I think there's a real niche there. Um, I think that, I don't know, if everybody should hire you. And that could be... I think everyone should, be, should hire me. That hire should be me. A, that should be a full-time business. I'm nice. Um, it's just, it's like, we're, we're dumb. Bartenders are dumb. I mean, I'm sorry to say that, but like, uh, I can admit that. I, I lump myself in this as like, we're very headstrong people. Mm. We live this hard and fast lifestyle and we really live in the moment. The entire service industry is that way. I think um, there's a book that I read at one point that... Uh, equated the service industry, servers and bartenders, to uh, people playing a slot machine. Um, because you basically, every night you're pulling that handle, and every now and then you get a huge payout. And okay. you just kind of like, you know, associate like that thrill of like, you know, making a whole bunch of money and everything yeah. like that with like, it's a very addictive. So you're gambler? You got to chase like the dragon. Sense. It's a very addictive lifestyle because yeah. it's just like you get these big payouts and then like you can live like this very extravagant lifestyle, maybe yeah. you're not saving money and you're definitely not taking care of yourself. No. Just like, yeah. You know, always you're, like, you're paid a lot of cash. Yep. That's a big part of it. Yeah. yeah. And then, the, and then you're in that culture of like you're up late at night, you're not sleeping well, mm-hmm. yeah, you're it's not. Just, it's harder yeah. to make good choices at two o'clock right. in the morning. It's way harder to make good choices. So yeah. for all those, all of us dummies out there, we <laughs> could use somebody like you, Michelle, uh, yes. to kind of point us in the right direction. Um, what challenges do you see? Uh, I think you've talked about it a little bit so far, but um, when you get a new client, um, like what are the challenges? What are your expectations? How do you set them up for success? Um, well, the expectation is definitely for them to be ready. And, and by ready, I mean ready to commit to a lifestyle, like a new lifestyle. Granted, that lifestyle is going to be specifically designed for them. Mm-hmm. As in, what works for you may not work, you know, for Cole. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very, what we call bio-individuality. Everybody, you know, one person's food is another person's poison. Regardless of whether it's healthy or not, it doesn't matter. Everyone's individual, our DNA makeup, everything that we do in our lives are very specific, and that's how your health should be as well. Mm -hmm. Very specific to your lifestyle. And so the expectation is that people are ready to that mindset. That's kind of like where I help people stop listening to all this noise from what you should do, these bad diets and all these things, these quick fixes that never work out No, um, to understanding that it is something that is going to be an ongoing process. And, and the big thing is to continue to explore, mm-hmm. like figuring out what works for you. And that's going to take time. That's going to take the commitment of like it, trying new foods, trying new things, trying new exercises, figuring out where you can fit healthy into your life. Mm-hmm. So where it doesn't feel like you just like completely changed who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. You know, you're still you and you still enjoy the same things and you can still have those things that maybe are necessarily not deemed as, as uh, healthy. Balance is what I preach as well because it's like I can't – you can't restrict yourself from anything. That's the problem with I think – a lot of people, they think they have to stop doing things. Mm. It's not that. It's adding things in. Mm-hmm. What we call crowding out. Mm-hmm. Um, you're adding things in, and then eventually those bad things just kind of fall off. That's a really great way to look at it. I've never yeah. thought about it that way. Yeah. Mm. So it doesn't have to be this 
you know, I'm healthy now and I can't do all these things and I can't enjoy right. the things that I, I used to enjoy. Yeah. It's like, no, I just need to slowly, it's a progression. It's right. small steps. It's what I do is, um, the program that I, I have, it's a six month program, um, where I meet with a client, uh, twice a month for an hour. Mm-hmm. And we just talk about what sort of things they're doing and what kind of things, what recommenda- recommendations can I make that's going to be easy for them to incorporate into their life. I only do maybe two to three at the most because if I gave you a list of all the things that you have to do, that's going to make you feel like overwhelmed. How can I do this? How can I achieve this? This is, this is unattainable. And I think that's a lot of the mindset is that being healthy is an unattainable thing, mm-hmm. but it's not at all. You just have to go about it the right way. And so what I do is I help people I give them suggestions. They try it out for a couple weeks. They come back. And then I say, how did those things work for you? Did you like this? Did it work for you? Okay, let's figure something else out. If it didn't work for you, what else can we do to make this fit into your lifestyle? All right. So obviously you've you've said that everything is very individualized. Mm -hmm. What's the closest thing to a universal in that you've come across? What is something that applies to the, because you can't, talk all of our, our vast array of 90 listeners per episode <laughs> you can't talk to all of them sp- individually but yeah. what's something that you feel like might apply to 85 of them you know um i would say and these are things it's it's funny because these are things that we know and it's the things that i will suggest drink more water <laughs> <laughs> yes get more sleep you know at least 7 to 8 hours of sleep um my recommendation for water is half your body weight in ounces per day. I understand that that's hard. And that's not necessarily the philosophy for everyone. There's different things about there. Like you should drink eight cups of water a day, no matter who you are, or what your weight is. But I've done some research and I feel like half your body weight in ounces is, is a substantial amount. And, and that you have to also take into fact if you're drinking like juice or your watermelon has water in it too. It doesn't necessarily have to come from straight up like water. Mm-hmm. But that does help lubricate your organs and keep them functioning correctly helps you uh, stay in an alkaline state because when your body is alkaline, you can, you can actually absorb nutrients in the right way that you're supposed to and mm-hmm. digest uh, probiotics would be another suggestion. I think everyone should be taking probiotics. That's what helps your gut flora um, maintain, you know, the bacteria in your gut. That's what helps you maintain a healthy state in your body mm-hmm. and digest food in the way that you should be digesting food. A right. lot of us are walking around with like extra weight that could be solved by simply introducing probiotics into your, into your diet. And that mm-hmm. could be introduced in pill form. Uh, there are drinks out there, you know, kombucha is a probiotic. There's kimchi. That's probiotic. Mm-hmm. Sauerkraut is probiotic. They even have probiotic pickles out there. <laughs> I've seen some, I've seen some probiotic teas like these. There's a lot of products that are up and coming. Kef, kefir, um, coconut kefir. There's a lot of yogurt fermented. Mm-hmm. That's fermented dairy. Yep. That's, uh, it's unpasteurized, which would be better, but there are some pasteurized out there. But those are also things that will help balance your gut flora and mm-hmm. making sure that you're not bloated all the time because yeah. most of us are carrying bloat around. Right on. 
Um, all right, we're getting pretty close to the end here. Uh, there's oh. two questions I want to, uh, I'd, I'd like to ask, um, which I think are important because I think a lot of times with things like this, we dance around. It's like this is a really nice thing and all this other stuff. But mm. what do your services cost? Like just just to kind of set people up. I mean, I think that's a really important thing because a lot of people are going to be shy when they hear something like this because they they're going to think it's a luxury, you know. And I think like having that in mind to be like, you know. It's not. This is an investment. Like, it's the same thing. It's like, this is you investing in yourself. But, yep. like, you know. That's literally what I say to people. Yeah. Oh, well, people. <laughs> I, I could be a salesperson. For you could. Yeah. Can you be my marketing person? <laughs> I got it. Done. Moving to LA. Goodbye, Paul. <laughs> Goodbye, you jerk forever. <laughs> Martin would be so happy. But, uh, <laughs> good thing I didn't move to Miami years ago. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, so, um, but I think one of the things is like if if somebody's listening right now and they're like, you know what, this makes a lot of sense. I need help, and that's one of the biggest things is reaching out and finding the help that you need. Yeah. It's like thinking long term to being like, okay, if I can start budgeting for this, this is the amount, and then I can get the help I need. So just and, in general, and to your point, also I think a lot of people look at it at an initial cost mm-hmm. and they see it and they go, that's a big number. But then when you think about it in the long run, eating McDonald's and doing all these things that you shouldn't be doing, how much are your your yeah. healthcare bills going to be? My, that's going to be way, way, way more expensive. There's a the quote yeah. saying, "Pay the farmer, not the doctor." Right. You mm. know, and it's because you can pr- like nutrition can be preventative health. Like you, mm-hmm. it's not only to deal with like what you look like and how you feel. It's also the health, like your, your health in general, as far as like insurance goes and stuff like that, where you're not paying all these things because you have to be on a pill for this and a pill for that. Yeah. And you know, all these problems, but um sorry, I don't know if you're going to say something cool. No, I was okay. basically <laughs> going to say that, but you're okay. better qualified. To do it. <laughs> so, um, my services are for, um, I do, Either it's it depends on I've I've kind of changed my programming like I can do individual sessions which are going to cost a lot more because I can't necessarily get a feel for who you are and like how I can necessarily help you mm-hmm. in one session so that's two fifty mm-hmm. a session um, then for a six month program it is two actually 175 per session so that would be three fifty or wait sorry is my math off. No, that's right. Three fifty, 350 yeah, a, 350 month, a month um, for six months, mm-hmm. and then I do discounts if they pay all of it in advance, mm-hmm. like a ten percent discount. Cool. And then a three, I'm doing a three month program too. If people just kind of want like maybe a little bit of a start, mm-hmm. um, and that would be two hundred a yeah. session. So I'm I'm more encouraging to you doing six months. Mm-hmm. So I'm charging more for the shorter programs because I feel like it's going to be more beneficial if you do six months. And I do feel like it sets you up for success for you to go out on your own and start, you know, figuring out things for yourself. Right on. And I guess the uh, last question I have for you as well too is, is this something that you need to be in person? I understand there's a lot of empathy that is definitely involved with this, but mm-hmm. let's say one of our listeners lives in Alaska right now. We do have listeners from all around the world, really? a couple from all around the world. Awesome. But if somebody wanted to get in contact with you with Skype to try and like utilize your services, is that a possibility? Yes, absolutely. Cool. I actually did that when we moved to Miami because mm-hmm. I still had a client here. And okay. so did that for a while. Skype, phone calls, FaceTime, right. that sort of thing. And I also uh, am incorporating private yoga lessons. Okay. So, But that would probably be more of a um, in-person thing. Right. Although I am experimenting with trying to do uh, video with cool. that. But I got to see because it's like there's like a lot more that goes into yoga with adjusting someone and making sure they're doing the pose right. So if it's like a beginner, I would probably feel hesitant to want to do that over a video. Mm. Cool. 
Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, we could go on about this for a long time, but mm-hmm. it's coming up to about an hour here. So that's about when we like to wrap things up. We do like to give our guests the opportunity to do a parting shot. So if you have something you'd like to share, just a, a quick thought or something that you'd like to get off your chest before we, mm-hmm. we get off the mics here. Uh, what do you what do you got for us? Um, I want to say that I think people like even like you're saying that you're not doing so well, right, Stephen? Mm-hmm. Or you feel like sometimes you're up and down, right? Yeah, yeah. The point is to keep trying. That's that's I think the kicker for everyone is that to not give up. Please don't give up on being healthy. Just keep exploring and keep trying to figure out what works for you because you will figure it out. I think that's pretty much what I want to say, yeah. Right on. And uh, for all of our listeners out there, maybe somebody who's heard this and is like, you know, that's exactly what I knew in my life. Uh, why don't you reintroduce yourself one more time? Okay. Tell our uh, faithful listeners how they can contact you. Okay. And, uh, yeah. So I'm actually, my name is Michelle Lewis. I'm a holistic health coach. I... Um, currently don't have a website (laughs) but i'm super active on instagram it's living well underscore michelle with two l's that's pretty much the the best way you can reach me you can dm me (laughs) (laughs) that's i literally say that dm to connect so don't need no web page just an instagram account I'm working on it, you guys. I'm working on a blog. So oh, I've had a business oh, for oh, seven I, years. I don't have a website God, I yet. almost forgot. I'm starting a podcast. Oh, great. <laughs> Why don't you go ahead and plug your podcast on our podcast? It's going to be called Always Evolving. It has not been yeah. started yet. It's going to be me and a friend who I used to. Uh, she also went to the same school I went to. She's actually a lawyer, though. Awesome. Um, she kind of did it for more of personal reasons. But mm-hmm. uh, her, she moved out to L.A. about three months before I did. And thankfully, I get to hook up with her, and we're going to start a podcast together. Right on. Right yeah. on. Well, we can't wait to listen to that guy. Uh, probably Always Evolving is the available name. Available on That's iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, hopefully, like we are here on Around with Stephen Cole. Cole, you got a parting shot for us here? Yeah, I think um, a lot of people, myself included, don't – It's it takes something, some sort of outside event, or it takes something – finding something you care about is mm. something that can really help – make that choice because a lot of people who have these self-destructive tendencies like I did it took it took me the ability to frame it in terms of of my my relationship my fiance the family that we were planning together that the value that I was placing on that became more valuable than my bad habits so finding that thing that you care about and it can be family it can be just it can be a hobby it can but it can also just be yourself I think that's one of the things we don't put enough value on ourselves, that it doesn't have to be something outside. It can just be you have value and improving yourself is a reward in and of itself. So and it's not selfish. It's not. It's, yeah, it's not selfish. Not you selfish. are you are something of value. There are people who love you no matter who you are. And yeah. but do it. Do it for you. You you are worth it. There's <laughs> no, nothing wrong with being selfish every now and then. I, I Sometimes you have to prioritize yourself. Um, I uh, yeah, just a quick one for me, real quick. Uh, quick twice. Uh, uh, it, we have more people who are trying to pursue bartending and hospitality as a long term profession. Uh, this is a devastating industry, lifestyle wise, uh, physically being on your feet. Um, I probably have a torn rotator cuff or something on my left shoulder. It hurts like hell all the time. Um, it's from use and abuse and not taking care of myself. Um, if I could go back and and see myself 10 years ago, I said, you know, you got to take care of yourself a little bit more. You can't keep doing this the way it is. Uh, so anybody who's out there who has that opportunity to embrace it right now, if this is something that you love and you want to do 
it for the rest of your life or for a longer portion of your life, start investing in yourself in things like this, uh, in taking care of yourself, maybe not going out every single night. Um, you're all beautiful people. You know, yeah. <laughs> we want to see you here for a long period of time and, uh, you know, being uh, mentally uh, healthy and physically healthy. Mm. Both great things. Yes. Anywho, I'm Steve Yamada. Thanks again, Michelle, for coming on. This is T. Cole Newton. And uh, yeah, thank you for joining us. Cheers. Cheers.